For the most wild yet most homely narrative which I am about to pen, I neither expect nor solicit belief. Mad indeed would I be to expect it. In a case where my very senses reject their own evidence, Yet mad I am not, and very surely do I not dream. But tomorrow I die, and today I would unburden my soul. My immediate purpose is to place before the world, plainly, succinctly, and without comment, a series of mere household events. In their consequences, these events have terrified, have tortured, have destroyed me. Welcome back to Book Blurbs. On today's episode, we turn to virtually every English teacher's go-to author for the Halloween season, Edgar Allan Poe, with his 1843 short story, The Black Cat. Since a large majority of you probably studied Poe at some point in school, I'd say he needs little introduction from me, but I'll go ahead and give you a refresher to start the episode. Edgar Allan Poe had a rather difficult life. He was born in Boston on January 19th, 1809, to a pair of actors, Elizabeth Arnold Hopkins Poe and David Poe Jr. David abandoned the family in 1810, and Elizabeth died a year later from tuberculosis. A Virginia merchant named John Allen took... Edgar Allan Poe into his home after Elizabeth's death, and the Allens served as Poe's foster family, uh, but they never formally adopted him. Poe attended the University of Virginia in 1826, but he dropped out after one year. During this time, he became estranged from his foster father over gambling debts and arguments that his foster father had not given him enough money to register for classes at the university or buy textbooks and uh, give him money to furnish his dorm. Following his university dropout, he enlisted in the U.S. Army in 1827 under the name Edgar A. Perry. That year, he released his first collection of poetry, and only 50 copies were printed. Uh, it received virtually no attention, and eventually Poe entered West Point to become a military officer, but he purposely got court-martialed and dismissed uh, shortly into his time there. After that, Poe really started focusing on his writing career, but the odds of the time were really stacked against him in that field. He was one of the first American authors to try to live by writing alone at a time when publishers often refused to pay their writers on time, if at all. And publishers also made it very difficult for new American writers to burst onto the, onto the literary scene because of loose international copyright law at the time. So rather than paying American authors for uh, the creation of new publications or stories, publishers commonly resorted to reproducing unauthorized copies of British literature instead. In 1835, 
a then 26-year-old Poe obtained a license to marry his then, get this, 13-year-old cousin, Virginia. Poe worked for several periodicals, but didn't become extremely well-known as an author by the public until 1845 when his poem, The Raven, was published. Um, And interestingly enough, he was only paid a measly $9 for that poem, which is so well-known now and was really well-known at the time then, too. During his lifetime, Poe's works were actually more popular in France rather than the United States, thanks largely in part to translations by Charles Baudelaire over in France. So things really started to fall apart for Edgar Allan Poe in 1847 when his wife Virginia died from tuberculosis, which was kind of a familiar demon to Poe at this point in his life. You can trace it all the way back to the cause of his mother's death. And so he became increasingly unstable, especially in regards to his uh, drinking habits. And on October 7th, 1849, Edgar Allan Poe died with the official cause of death still unknown to this day. Now, needless to say, Poe was a tremendous literary influence. Uh, I'd argue you may have Edgar Allan Poe to thank for the eventual creation of Sherlock Holmes, as Sir Arthur Conan Doyle asked, where was the detective story until Poe breathed life into it? And then famous filmmaker Alfred Hitchcock, who created Psycho and The Birds and North by Northwest and several other famous films said, it's because I like Edgar Allan Poe's story so much that I began to make suspense films. Now, getting into the Black Cat story itself, I have to say this is not a tale for you cat lovers out there. Uh, You're really going to be terrified by this and like abhor it. Uh, But The story is presented to us by an unreliable narrator in the first person. Our narrator is a married man and tells us he's been an animal lover from an early age. Our narrator is especially fond of a black cat he owns named Pluto. Life is going pretty well for our narrator, but eventually he loses himself in alcoholism and then everything just completely spirals out of control from there. Like we did with the last episode on Shirley Jackson's short story, Paranoia, uh, I'm going to leave the summary of the story there. It's really hard to talk about short stories without going into detail and spoiling them because they're just so condensed in length that you can't really go into too much detail without giving anything away. So stick around, and after the break... We will really dive into it. We'll talk about its different themes, our narrator, uh, some of the things that happen in the plot. We also will compare it to uh, one of Poe's other short stories that has some similarities to this one. And I'll be welcoming a special guest to talk with me about all those things. So 
Join me after the break, and we'll really dive into The Black Cat by Edgar Allan Poe. Welcome back to this episode of Book Blurbs. Today we're talking about Edgar Allan Poe's The Black Cat. And I'm excited to welcome back friend of the show, Mason. Mason, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, I've been upgraded to friend of the show. (laughs) My goodness, I'm rising through the hierarchy. It's good to be back. So, Mason, um, I already did a little intro before the break on Edgar Allan Poe and kind of a little bit about his life. Um, So tell us what you know about Poe and what you think is important. So I'm not as much of an expert on Poe as I am on Shirley Jackson, right, the last author we discussed, largely because I've never taught Poe, and you really have to be a pro with the ones you teach. But I mean, so Poe is known for, right, these kind of short, um, really messed up macabre stories that are really in fashion around Halloween, right, The Tale Tell Hard, Mask of Red Death, The Pin and the Pendulum. And he has a handful that specifically get into not just horror, but also there are some ones that kind of have a moral dimension to them or that kind of deal with addiction or alcoholism, which I think he had family members who suffered from those, so it's an interesting interesting way to look at his work, and so obviously uh, this story is one of them. Uh, I also know this is relevant to the story that Poe himself had a black cat yeah. and loved it. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, just for my sake and maybe some people in the audience, can you define that word you use, macabre? Oh, macabre. So sort of bizarre in a slightly creepy way, basically, what, what Tim Burton has spent his life doing, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's a good word to have around, especially when describing Poe, and especially when dealing with Poe during spooky season, I think. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, this is uh, this is coming out the week of Halloween, so it's, like, I think the perfect oh. uh, kind of spooky tale to I'm already get you into. It. <laughs> uh, we're both kind of more dog people, but... I don't have anything against cats. No, uh, and to be fair, just to be clear, I, I don't think that this story is accurate in terms of all cats being witches. It's just some of them. <laughs> uh, so before we go deeper into analysis, do you want to do the honor of giving like a short plot summary of what happens in the story? Sure. So this is your classic pet adoption story gone horrible, <laughs> right? Basically, it's about... It's like it, the prequel to Pet Cemetery, right? Yes, yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so <clears throat> you'll have to excuse me if I cough during this. It's the cat's fault. Um, so, right, it's the story of uh, a man sort of telling us about a series of events after they occur, and he even just calls them like a series of uh, objectionable or some kind of events, right? And so it's about he lives a happy life with his wife and his cat, uh, he does mention that at the time, a lot of people think that cats are inhabited by witches or possessed by witches. Uh, the man sort of descends into alcoholism, which causes him to get sort of irrationally angry at a lot of things. And so one of the focuses or one of the foci of his anger, right, when he gets really drunk is the cat. And so he does things like attack the cat. At one point, he he um, punctures the cat's eye. And mm-hmm. it just keeps going and going and going until... He hangs the cat. Do I yeah. have the murder method right? So okay. hangs the cat from a tree. Right, hangs the cat from a tree, and so that's when the cat, right, starts to haunt him. He sees uh, like an imprint on the wall of the the cat's silhouette as it's being hung. They wind up getting another cat, and he winds up kind of going similarly crazy. And so that's when the major twist happens, and when you realize what the real unfortunate event of the story is, which is that he then. Um, 
as his wife tries to intervene on behalf of the cat, he then, quote, buries an axe in her brain. Yeah. Uh, and then... When because the wife is trying to save the cat. Right, right. And so, and then, right, the very final thing is that as, um, as he's trying to hide, right, the murder of his wife as he's trying to hide her behind this wall, the wall crumbles and he's found out and then lo and behold, what else is behind that wall but... The cat. The cat. <laughs> um... By the way, if you hear like noises in the background, it's raining cats and dogs right now. Oh, oh, <laughs> so you might hear some thunder. Oh, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> um, yeah, that's so that's a really good summary there. Um, a lot of people, when they read the story, draw comparisons to one of Poe's other stories, The Telltale Heart. Mm. And... Um, I think you can start by pointing out that both have this unreliable narrator slowly losing his sanity. Um, they're telling it in the first person. They're both kind of recounting their crime from their jail mm-hmm. cell mm-hmm. Uh, and just kind of flashing back to it. Um, I thought it was interesting at the beginning of this one that the narrator points out that he isn't mad, and his story is no dream, but he concedes that readers probably won't believe him anyway. Right, and that's an interesting... I mean, one thing I like that Poe does occasionally, and he does it really well in the story, is that you start the story thinking that the narrator is a little sane, maybe a little sympathetic. He talks about his wife nicely. You know, he says that he knows he's going to sound crazy, but just hear him out, and so you give him a little bit of trust. Mm-hmm. And then by the end... Oh my god. Yeah. You know. You, He's just this really unstable person. Yes, and he gets you to follow him, and then you just kind of watch that trust deteriorate right in front of your eyes. And another thing I tied to both of the stories is there seems to be the symbolism of eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in the Telltale Heart, the old man that the... Well, I won't spoil that one, but mm. something mm. happens with an old man this story, yeah. and the old man yeah, has this uh, disconcerting like vulture eye. Um, and then in this story, the narrator cuts out the eye of Pluto, his little black right, cat. Right, 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 right. Um, so I kind of read into that and thought, uh, in both stories, the narrator is like kind of seeing a reflection of himself through mm. other people's eyes or mm. other animals' eyes. Right. Um, and he doesn't like what he sees in that reflection. It's almost like, and we often hear like animals can look in like directly right. into your soul especially in this place really especially cats right there's yeah. like this fear of no and i mean i thought i mean i think they're both are really it's it's just one example of many in the story of this guy's desire right to not be known by others for who he truly is and it starts small right with him i mean not really small but compared to where it goes right it starts fairly small with him just like it puncturing one of the cat's eyes and then that goes to the most extreme version of him is that small be, though <laughs> well compared to right what happens at compared the end, to the violence is, and, yeah well compared to right at the end the most extreme example of him not wanting to be seen for who he really is which is obsessing over hiding his wife's body so his his urge to for other people to not know how insane he is right starts with the puncturing of the cat's eye and then kind of grows out of control but he never really More out of control at that point he never really seems all that upset that he just murdered his wife. He yeah. just kind of like, okay, where to hide the body? Mm, mm. Um, I'm realizing now it's kind of hard to draw comparisons without spoiling the other story, but something else that's common in both of them is there's this supernatural occurrence or 
And maybe it's not supernatural. It's just the narrator becoming par- paranoid. Right. And this is another really well done example of, right? So we, we talked about Shirley Jackson's paranoia the last yeah. time. This story, this story does a, a, a very similar thing in terms of making it absolutely clear how the narrator could think these crazy things are happening and then also making it absolutely clear that the narrator could be imagining or connecting these circumstances in a way that isn't real. Mm-hmm. So I think a, a clear instance in this one is after the narrator kills Pluto, he starts to, there's this second cat that comes along that reminds him of Pluto. And um, it's, I don't know if it's ever super clear, although the ending makes me think that the second cat is real. Right. Um, well, or even, I mean, is it a reincarnation of Pluto? Is it also a witch? I mean, or is it just that black cats look alike, which in real life, of course, they usually do look pretty uniform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, going forward, another theme in this story, uh, as you mentioned in the summary, is alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, at the time it was written, this story was written in, or published in 1843, and the temperance narratives were a very popular genre in literature at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in, in those stories, uh, the writers would often blame alcohol for all the bad things that are happening to the characters in the story. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting. I did a just a quick little bit of research, and in 1840, a group of artisans <laughs> in Baltimore, which is... One of the cities Poe lived in uh, throughout his life, uh, they created their own temperance society that could appeal to hard-drinking men, and they called it the Washingtonians. Mm. And uh, they pledged complete abstinence, attempting to persuade others through their own experience with alcohol rather than relying on like preaching and religious teachings to get them to quit drinking. Uh, and they argued that sympathy was an overlooked method for helping people to quit their alcohol addiction, uh, and coercion was an ineffective method to get them to stop drinking. Interesting. And they uh, really just wanted to save everyone's cats. Yeah, it was really, it was really sad. Prevent, prevent cat homicide. <laughs> no, I mean I think that goes, you know, and then Poe. I can't remember if it was an elder brother, but Poe had relatives, right, who suffered from alcoholism, and so this his th- brother did, and then he himself did, especially after his wife. Virginia passed away from tuberculosis. Right, right. Man, tuberculosis. Thank God we don't hear that one anymore, right? But, um, you know, I mean, it's a story about alcoholism, and then also I think you can look at it a lot of the story as an allegory, right, or something that's symbolic of how alcoholism works, right, how he tries to hide the effects of his alcoholism, right, either by puncturing an eye or by hiding a body, right? Literally, I mean, he tries to, with his wife's body, (laughs) compartmentalize the effects of his alcoholism, which is, of course, something that some addicts do, right, is they try to separate the things they've done as an addict from, you know, from the rest of their lives, but the wall comes crumbling down in this one. Mm -hmm. So in the first part of the story, you know, once things start going poorly for the narrator, he blames it on his alcoholism. Um, But he also provides maybe a secondary reason that um, he's acting out in this way. And it's interesting how it's written. He, it's quoted as the spirit of, perverseness and perverseness is all in caps. all caps oh loved him some caps lock even though that didn't exist back then <laughs> and uh the, the exact line that the narrator defines perverseness as in the story is who has not a hundred times found himself committing a vile or silly action for no other reason than because he knows he should not um so it's 
interesting to see how he's like creating these different excuses for why he's acting the way right. he's acting. Because the the mystery in the end, I guess, winds up being his motive. Is it the witch cat thing? Is it the alcohol? <laughs> Is it just that he's irrational? Right. That's a, that's an interesting question of motive there. I think. Yeah, and another theme that came up for me was this theme of the home and freedom versus confinement and mm, yeah it gets it's an awfully claustrophobic story. it gets very claustrophobic yeah uh we start with the narrator having you know his own house with his wife and it it even says he has a servant so it must be a, a pretty decent house that they're living in right um but then after the murder of pluto the cat his home suddenly burns down in the middle of the night mm-hmm. and they have to move into this old rundown home with like a beaten up cellar uh, that they live in. And then of course, you know, you've got the confined like brick tomb that he puts his wife in right. and then he ends up in an even more confined space in a jail cell at the end. Right, right. Well, and I mean, it kind of go, it goes to the other post story, the pit and the pendulum, where the the shrinking of the space kind of becomes its own yeah. right horror. But I mean, even again, that's that's some good symbolism of, of how because in addition to alcoholism, right, this is a story I think about how guilt feels about how you know you keep trying to escape the consequences of what you've done, but they get closer and closer. Right. I mean, he literally has less and less space right to get away with what. With what he's doing. Uh, the thing I really like about the story that Poe does really well is he sets you up for one twist and then you think the major twist has already happened and then you get another one because he sets you up very effectively for the narrator, the narrator saying that he's done an awful thing, singular, like one awful thing. Mm-hmm. So then he kills the cat and you're like, oh, well, okay, that falls under awful things, right? So then you think, okay, well, the major twist is a critical. Well, no. Then he offs his wife, right, <laughs> which is another major... So Poe has... And I can't remember there's another one I'm trying to think of, but Poe is especially good at this thing, right, where he really keys you into expecting this one big twist, and then it turns out that that was the small twist, and there's a bigger twist yet to come. Mm-hmm. Um, which, again, maybe is what for some for this guy, right, alcoholism is, is like, right, right? He thinks he's done the absolute worst, but then he lowers the bar again. Yeah. Or buries the axe. <laughs> and uh, in the first paragraph of the story you hear the narrator you know calling this whole uh, story that he's telling us from his jail cell um a series of mere household events what what do you make of him categorizing this just atrocious series of crimes as just mere household events i um i i don't know if that's a you know i don't know it's it's maybe it's how he um I mean, so there are two answers to that, right? I think what Poe is doing, right, is lulling us into a sense that maybe this is going to be normal, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he, he's good at kind of getting, earning the reader's trust and then and then breaking it very effectively. But I mean, also, I guess the character, um, if he's trying to not blame himself for it, right, and call it a series of household events, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's something he did, right? So maybe he's trying to kind of absolve himself of some guilt. Um, yeah, I also think it's maybe Poe's way of saying, you know, um, this isn't just a tale of fiction, like horrible things like this happen, can happen in like a regular home. Right, right. Which is scarier than this being some kind of freak occurrence. Yeah. yeah. Well, which, and which is what he suggests with the, with the line about perverseness, right? Is that the, the scary thing, right? Isn't just that this guy's done it, but that there were, there were, you know, thousands of people who have the potential to do it because they also have these thoughts and there are thousands mm-hmm. of people drinking, which obviously at this time was, was an urgent social concern. Yeah. 
Um, so what do you make of the narrator's relationship with his wife? We don't really get any characterization from her. We know like she seems to be a very loving person. She also loves animals. Um, I think she's the one that brings in Pluto, like yeah. once they get married. Yeah. Um, you know, the narrator tells us that he married early and he was happy to find in his wife a disposition not uncongenial with his <coughs> own. Um, that line stands out to me because, you know, he's painting their relationship and their marriage as something that's very positive, but it's kind of bizarre that he phrases it in the negative, like not uncongenial with my own mm -hmm. disposition. Mm -hmm. It's very, very like 19th century Gothic way to say that. Um, I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? Because even after his wife is dead, he still speaks so fondly of her, right? And yet that's, and that's another... That's another character trait that Poe uses to kind of lure you in, right? Because he says lots of very sweet things about his wife, and you think he's saying it because he's a decent person, and what you realize eventually is that he's saying it because he feels badly for having, again, buried an axe in her brain, <laughs> yeah. right? And so I, I think that that's another, especially at the beginning, the, the praise he lavishes on his wife is Poe's way of making you think that maybe the narrator is a good person and kind of luring you into trusting him a little bit. Because mm -hmm. he's not just an unreli I mean, he's not just an unreliable narrator in terms of, like, the events that the way he portrays events, right, is an unreliable narrator in terms of coming off extremely sympathetic at the beginning and then in actuality being a really horrible, horrible human being. Yeah. Um, something else I, I noticed was when the home burns down, it's kind of representative of the hell that the narrator has created, you know, in his own in his own soul and mm -hmm. this hell he's like putting his wife through because I think, you know, there's mentions as the story goes on that he in his anger through alcoholism and um, just his disposition going forward like he i think he abuses her as well in addition to the animals mm -hmm. um and then it's interesting after he murders uh pluto the cat that's kind of the last we hear about the alcoholism you know he mm -hmm. almost drops that and then he starts blaming all of his bad actions on the second cat that shows up. Uh, and he's quoted as saying about the cat, Upon its head with red extended mouth and solitary eye of fire sat the hideous beast whose craft had seduced me into murder and whose informing voice had consigned me to the hangman. Um, so now the blame is all on the second mysterious cat. Mm. And it's fascinating to me too that almost the way he executed uh, Pluto, the first cat, it's like foreshadowing how he's going to be executed, presumably. Right. I mean, you could see, and, and granted, part of the reason I'm thinking this is because with my students, I'm teaching Siddhartha right now, so everything in my brain has something to do with karma, <laughs> right? But, I mean, you could see the story as a, as a, a you know, ultimately, uh, you know, the spirit of the initial cat kind of getting back at him. But then also, right, I mean, you talked about the household burning down at the end, right? I mean, if the... If the Temperance movement is concerned that right alcohol is going to destroy you know like a traditional household environment. Well, how much more blunt <laughs> can you be right than than this guy's alcoholism leading him to murder his wife and burn the house down? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, looking at Pluto the cat itself, of course Pluto is a reference to the Roman god of the underworld, so there's mm -hmm. that. Um, but also, I think you can pick out. Um, 
in rather a, the rather gruesome scene of the narrator like digging the eyeball out from Pluto, um, he uses a pen knife, which is usually used to sharpen a writing quill, mm. to do that. So I guess you can kind of interpret that as like Pluto is a symbol of you know different forms of art and like just the amount of blood sweat and tears and almost like chaotic violence that goes into creating art right right well or i mean if pluto's art and he's being you know stabbed with a pen knife sometimes art shows us things that we'd rather not see yeah right and he, he's kind of trying to, to try trying to avoid um that i mean the interesting thing about the story right is that by the time that injure left for three possible interpretations right one of them is that he does this stuff because he's drunk one of them is that he does this stuff because cat right one of them is that he does this stuff just because human beings do crazy irrational things sometimes and it's that third one for me that's the scariest because that's the that's the heath ledger joker motive right that's yeah. the really terrifying like just because um and so you know as i initially read the story i was trying to figure out which of the three was true Right, but I think the scariest possibility that Postmark to put in there is that maybe we don't know and the narrator doesn't either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, um, you know, speaking of things that are maybe we don't want to see or talk about, you know, this was written in the 1840s, and of course at that time slavery was a major issue in the United States. And although we don't really have any record of Poe's thoughts on slavery, um, would you also be able to interpret, you know, um, Pluto, the black cat, as maybe a stand-in for the violence that slaves had to go through at that time? You know, it depends on how much you care about what the author thought, right? And I, I, I don't necessarily. I kind of think once they're dead, we have the right to interpret their stories however however we deem fit, right? That's that's a, that's an interesting interpretation, right? That that what he's really trying to kill is the, the things about himself that he doesn't like or the things about society that he doesn't like. But I mean, you know, the important thing about the story, if that's the interpretation, is that he can't do it, mm -hmm. right? That the cat keeps coming back no matter what, right? The things he's trying to get rid of keeps coming back no matter what. Um, yeah, so uh, those were the major things I took away from it and the symbols and different uh, <laughs> metaphors and interpretations. Anything else that you notice that you want to point out? I think the... Right, the thing that's most interesting to me about the story is how it, well, A, it, it, how it can be read in conjunction with the Telltale Heart, right? I'd recommend reading those two stories at the same time because there's a lot that's the same about them, but the two or three things that are different about them, right, are quite telling. Mm -hmm. it, you know, and then I just, I, I like, you know, there, there are two kinds of horror, right? There's the, there's the horror where we know exactly what caused the scary thing to happen, Right, and that's a really cool kind of horror sometimes, but I think this is a really good example of the kind of horror, right, where we know the effects, like we know what happens, but the causes are really mysterious, which is like its own kind of scary. Um, yeah. Also, this will not be as scary as the uh, adaptation of the musical Cats. <laughs> I was going to ask you, like, we compared it to Telltale Heart. Is there, is there other media or uh, stories that you would compare it to? The musical well, Cats, the, just the, look at the, the trailer. Of the, film, <laughs> the film adaptation of the musical Cats is some of this because I, I also don't understand why that exists or was caused. Mm -hmm. and, and, it, and it won't go away no matter how much I try to get rid of it. So, <laughs> If you haven't already or if you haven't stumbled upon it on Facebook or Twitter or something, uh, do yourself a favor. Go look up the Cats trailer but find the version that has the Annihilation mm. soundtrack over it. Mm. It's 
it's a work of art. <laughs> it, it really, it is, it is, it is a modern Mona Lisa, right? And it's, it's a good example of not to get too off topic here, but it's a good example of you know because sometimes I'm sure we'll inevitably get around to talk about book and adaptations. It's an excellent example of how some things are just unadaptable, and when you try to adapt them. And then we'll go watch the cat's trailer to see what happens. But anyway, back to this cat story. Well, I, I thought another movie you tied into that you mentioned before we started recording is uh, the classic movie Cats and Dogs, of course. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That 2000s masterpiece. The cats in that ones aren't witches, though. They just have their own kind of secret, like, terrorist organization. I don't know. Very important part of my childhood, that though. <laughs> so that's some analysis for you on Edgar Allan Poe's The Black Cat. Uh, I'd love to hear your analysis and thoughts on the story, so be sure to uh, connect with me on social media, send some messages into the podcast, maybe even record a voice message, and uh, I'll throw that into the show. Uh, but we've arrived at the portion of the podcast where we give out a rating to the story we've been talking about. So, Mason, I'll let you go first. So, I'll go with right. I'll go with kind of the third highest category, which is I would say this is a, this is a good library find. In other words, find it for free. And luckily, Poe has been dead for long enough that you can do that with just about anything he's written, right? But I think that mostly has to do with the fact that there are so many really effective Poe stories out there, genuinely stunning runs, right? And this doesn't quite hit that level for me. It's a really well-done short story. The allegory with alcoholism is interesting right but if i were trying to find like a post story or two that were worth buying right instead of just librarying right i would think about um the pit and the pendulum i would think about the mask of red death uh those are my favorites but this still merits a solid uh library checkout i would say I'm a little disappointed because that's the rating I'm going with. I was hoping we would have a little disagreement there, but I'm going to give it the rating of library too. Um, it's a, it's a thrilling read. You know, there's, as Mason said, you think the big twist comes with the murder of Pluto, but then there's more to come yet. Um, but you know, I didn't even know about this short story before the podcast. So I'm glad I found it and read it. It's always fun to find new post stories, but uh, if you haven't read any short stories or don't remember them from school, I would just say maybe check out like uh, The Fall of the House of Usher or um, mm, yeah, The yes. Telltale Heart, uh, The Pit and the Pendulum, like you said. So there's some other like big classics uh, that you should definitely read right. up on. And it's not that this is a bad story, obviously, with the rating we're giving it, but it's also it's not the one I would choose to hook someone on Poe. I don't think you hadn't read Poe before. Yeah, and... Uh, I, I still like tremendously appreciate like the work and craftsmanship of Poe in this story. Uh, and it reminds me, I almost forgot to mention, but uh, in an English class I took at the beginning of the semester, we, we were given the syllabus. <laughs> Mason, Mason had to walk away as he was laughing. Uh, we were given the syllabus and the teacher went around asking us, uh, what author on the syllabus we were most excited to read about. And when it got to me, I said, uh, well, I see we have Edgar Allan Poe on there. I'm always excited to read some of his short stories. And, you know, the story she had picked out was falling right around Halloween time, so it would have been perfect. And, you know, we were assigned to read it, and I expected a, a good in-depth class conversation, kind of like this, where, you you know, you come to appreciate the story even more, and uh, you get excited about it after your initial read. But... We spent a good uh, total of all of five minutes on it before shifting to uh, what was next on the agenda. So that was that was a little bit of a disappointment, but this is my way of uh, 
reintroducing myself to Poe and like jumping back into him to make up for that uh, Halloween, however many years ago that was. So uh, this was The Black Cat by Edgar Allan Poe. Mason, thank you again for coming on the podcast. Oh, Where can anytime. the good people out there find more of your stuff? Uh, at the Cats premiere. When, <laughs> when the Cats film comes out, I will be there. We're all going to have a Cats snide. viewing party. We, he, thinks, he thinks I'm kidding. Um, no, so beautiful or so what? wordpress.com. It's just a mix of my hot takes on different pop culture stuff. Um, as we get to these last three months of the decade in pop culture, I'll be doing a lot of cool end of decade stuff. So there's uh, that to look forward to. And uh, in honor of this short story that we just read and reviewed on the podcast, uh, I'm going to invite all of you to go to his blog and post pictures of cats in the comments. I'm Mm. sure he would thoroughly enjoy that. Give that delete button a workout. Let's do it. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of Book Blurbs. Follow me on social media at bookblurbs19 on Facebook and Twitter. Send me an email at bookblurbs19 at gmail.com. And go to anchor.fm slash bookblurbs to record a voice message that I can use in future episodes. You can talk about a book I reviewed in a previous episode or share your excitement or recommendations for books that are coming out. I'd love to include you and make you a part of the show. Thanks again for listening. My name is Kenneth. I'm your host, and I hope you can join me for the next episode of Book Blurbs.